Hello and welcome to Quarter Time Podcast. I'm Lucy G. And I'm Lucy P. And we're here to bring you all the netball goodness you never knew you needed. Hello and welcome to episode 14 of Quarter Time. It's been a whirlwind week with round 15 of the Vitality Netball Super League. But not only that, we've also had some massive news come out of the England Netball HQ with both the Roses coaching team announcement and the 2021-2022 roster for the Roses program. And don't forget the SSN and the ANZ on top of that. What a (laughs) week for netball. Amazing. So looking towards today's show, what have we got coming up, Lucy G? Oh, today's a cracker. We've got our usual three-word summaries for the six games of round 15, then our hotly contested players of the round and games of the round. And then we have a fascinating interview with the head coach and CEO of London Pulse, Sam Bird, all about money in netball, from the salary cap to sponsorships and the sustainability of the Vitality Netball Super League. You really don't want to miss this one. It's great. Amazing. Let's dive straight in with our three-word summaries. Okay, starting off, it was stars versus lightning, and I've gone for pushing the best. Stars should really be proud of this performance, actually, and they started off you know, really evenly matched against one of the best teams in the league in lightning. I think the battle between Beth Cobden and Leanne Leota was just so good to watch. And Stars were showing great patches, but just weren't able to string enough good moments together consecutively to get themselves over the line. Props to Lucy Herdman, who managed five deflections and three turnovers against Mary Chollock, which is a pretty unenviable task. Next up, we had Bath versus Rhinos. And for this one, I said, what happened there? (laughs) This was a surprising one, given Rhino's form in recent weeks, and we were really hoping for a close competitive game. Rhino's just seemed to be struggling to find those beautiful attacking connections from last week, and also struggling with the physical and mental dominance that the Bath defence were putting on them. I thought Serena Guthrie had another outrageously good game, pulling out all the stops with the tricks and her acrobatics. I cannot cope with that. She's just outrageous, isn't she? Uh, Following that game was Sirens versus Storm. And a big thank you to none other than CEO of Netball Scotland, Claire Nelson on Twitter, who has gone for Iron Brew Energy. Nice. Talk about a game of two halves, blimey. I thought we might have a goal for goaler on our hands in this one with absolutely nothing between these two teams in the first half. But Sirens were like, yeah, no, we're here to play now. And then just killed it in the second half, almost doubling both Storm's quarter three and quarter four scores. Wowza. Next up, we had Dragons versus Thunder. And for this one, I said, not there yet. This was a strong effort from Dragons, who almost managed to go toe-for-toe with the reigning champions for most of the game, with a goal difference in quarters 1, 2 and 4 of just 2, 4 and 1 respectively. But they lost their heads in quarter 3 with a goal difference of 7, just 8 goals to Thunder's 15 and then the uphill climb was just too much from there. Thunder looked pretty solid and comfortable and were able to bring on the youngsters in Pearson, Scholes and Neil. First up on Monday, we had Lightning versus Storm, and I've gone for an absolute pasting. Talk about a rough day at the office. 
This is a really tough one for Storm, who've suffered a series of defeats recently that they probably would have been hoping to scoop. And in all honesty, the game was lost from the first quarter. Storm had doubled the number of unforced errors to Lightning at 16-8, to with seven of these coming from Yaz Parsons alone, who didn't have her best outing on court, I think it's fair to say. I'm not too sure what the answer is for Storm at the moment, but one thing's for sure is that Mickey certainly has the passion and the will to turn things around for her squad. Our final game of the round was Wasps versus Pulse. And for this one, I said the Fadoju effect. Wow, this game had a bit of everything. What a performance from the young Pulse side against some seriously experienced competition. If they hadn't gone down by seven in that first quarter, they might well have done it, I think. Mm. And they ended up winning the second and final quarters as well. But credit to Wasps, who will, to be honest, be feeling a bit like they dodged a bullet with this one, Mm. given the teams that are nipping at their heels for a top four finish. Mm. Moving on to our games of the round. So this week I've gone for Bath versus Rhinos. And Mm. this was a really interesting one for me as I think it was pretty much tipped to be the best game of the round, but it really wasn't as close as everyone was expecting. Mm. I think given that incredible progress that we've seen from Rhinos in recent weeks, particularly given the fact that they've won three in a row, there was a lot of hype about whether they would be able to scout Bath. But Bath just said, nope. Thank you. Come again. (laughs) And pretty much just shut the door in their face from the first quarter. That blue brick wall that we've seen so much of this season was out in force. Mm. And a 17 to 8 second quarter gave Bath a 12 goal advantage at halftime. And that was just too much for Rhinos to claw back, basically. But what I thought was really good about this game was that Bath just smothered Wallum from the start. Mm. And it took the Rhinos attack a bit too long to adjust to such a high level of pressure. And then they were just on the back foot and it was too late. Bath obviously scored 59, which was their third highest score of the season. Kim Borgia, 43 goals at 93%. And Sophie Drakeford-Lewis shooting 100% again, which we pretty much just expect from her now, which is (laughs) frankly outrageous. We also saw Summer Artman be suspended at the end of the game, Mm. which I personally thought was quite bizarre considering she'd only just come onto the court, but there we go. And it was right at the end of the game, so it didn't really make a difference. Just a shame, as I think she'll be pretty disappointed with that. But overall, a real statement from Bath, who are now 14-1 and this season, which is incredible. Yeah, what a record. Yeah, the the thing with Summer Artman really puzzled me because... I understand why she was sent off because once you get to you know the caution, the warning stage, you have to follow the game management rules. So there's no choice for her but to go off. That was the the right thing to do. But it was the cause that got her to that point that I just mm. didn't I just didn't agree with. I I don't know. I, I think some of them are a little bit soft. Again, Gary Burgess, do not at me. And I think given that she hasn't been named in the Roses squad this year when she was in last year, that was probably a bit of a rough week for her. Yeah, definitely. Which game have you gone for this week, Luce? So I've gone for the last game of the round, Wasp versus Pulse. Mm. I I was sort of on the fence of this one. I was a bit like, are Pulse going to get a bit of a paste in or are they actually going to be able to scalp Wasp and have a, a really tight contested game? And I think given that they've lost you know, Halley at one end and Siggy at the other, it would have been quite easy for them to just crumble and have a bit of a disastrous game. But I felt like they really galvanised as a team and and you could see that like team spirit and team morale come into play following Halley's injury. 
The shift for me came in that second quarter where Fadoji got put into goal defence. That was insane. And from mm. that moment on, it just became the Fadoji show. The defensive pressure from having her in the goal circle, you could see the impact of that because Rach Dunn shot 32 from 39 at 82%. And she's normally in you know the high 80s, 90s. So I think you could see the defensive pressure that Fadoji had added. The issue with the defence, you know, Keeble had 27 penalties. So she's got to find a way of, of being able to actually contest and stay in the game. The thing that I want to point out with this game is that Pulse were down by 10 with five minutes to go, but they only ended up losing by five. So if we had had 15 minute quarters as we normally do, would they have won it? Who knows? Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? And I mean, we've talked a lot about Pulse so far, and I think that's because Wasps had a fairly average game, I would mm-hmm. say, by their standards. I haven't seen as much from them this season that's been particularly exciting and particularly outrageous and out there. They're just pretty solid. And yeah. I'm not necessarily sure if solid is enough to get them all the way this year. But credit to Pulse, they really pushed them. And I'm excited to see what they can put out next season, particularly once they get all their squad back together. Yeah, definitely. Moving on to our players of the round. So this week, I unsurprisingly have gone for (laughs) the legend that is Fumi Fadoju. Now, she has already been named as player of the round by Lucy G back in round four, but I completely feel that she is deserving of this award again. What an awesome performance from her this week. I don't think I really need to go into that much detail about this one as her performance on Monday against Wasps pretty much speaks for itself. (laughs) She was incredible. Two intercepts, 11 deflections, eight turnovers. More than Fran Williams in terms of deflections and turnovers. And bearing in mind, Fran is a full-time Rose who just went to the World Cup a couple of years ago. As you've mentioned, that move to bring Fadoju into GD at quarter time was very, very smart. And Pulse actually won the second quarter, keeping Rachel Dunn to six attempts in that quarter, which is absolutely unheard of. I just think Fumi is so consistent, so athletic, and most of all surprising because you just never know what to expect when she comes out on court. And it's just so great to watch. She has to be on the court for Pulse. I think Tamsin said it as well in commentary. Whether she's at wing defence or goal defence, she has to be there because she's such a natural ball winner. Mm. And she's going to be a complete headache for attackers. Well, she already is a complete headache (laughs) for attackers, but I'm so proud that she's in the Futures programme because she just really deserves it. Yeah, I hard agree on everything you've just said there. And I think what's incredible is that we get to see her development over this season. Remembering the fact that she is only 18, like crikey. But the fact that we can see every game televised in her, what I would probably say is her breakout season, it's just incredible and means that we don't miss a moment of it. And I just think she is a super special player with a really bright future ahead of her. Yeah, 100%. So who have you gone for this week, Luce? So I am taking a dive into the midcourt and I have gone for Nat Panagari. Mm, nice. You know what? I think Nat is a super underrated player. I think she quite often goes under the radar, but she really caught my eye actually in the Legends series. And from, from then on, I've been keeping a close eye on her. She's really impressed me. And I'm super chuffed that she's in the Roses because she is exactly the type of player that you want on your squad. 
She's mm. dedicated. She's a grafter. She just knuckles down, gets the job done, doesn't make any fuss. She's exactly the type of person you want on your team. She only had one unforced error in the Stars game. And considering how much she handles the ball, that is pretty awesome. Again, just one unforced error against Storm and only three penalties. But we all know from how she plays that she really gets in amongst it. So she's super clean this round. She also had three deflections as well in the second game. So she does a really great job at slowing teams down on transition. I I just can't wait to see how she enhances that Rose's environment, particularly with Liv Murphy now in the coaching setup. I think it's going to be great things from that. Yeah, she's really grown on me a lot in recent years. I used to think that maybe because you don't necessarily notice her because she's not that flashy player who's going to come leaping through with the intercept, but she just gets the job done, like you were saying, just quietly goes about it. And actually you're seeing from this Lightning team in particular how much of a leader she is for them and how crucial she is to their success so far this season. Yeah, absolutely agree. She is a cracker. Coming up next, we chat to Sam Bird from London Pulse about the juicy topic of money in netball. It is such a pleasure to have the CEO, head coach and director of Netball of London Pulse, Sam Bird, on the show with us. Welcome, Sam. Thank you, Lucy. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for joining us. Fantastic game on Monday really nail biter we were on the edge of our seats and you just get this feeling that pulse are on a real upward trajectory at the moment which is fantastic to see um you've obviously had a couple of unfortunate injuries recently but then also the fantastic news about the roses selection as well so tell us what's the mood like in the camp at the moment well, it genuinely is a bit of a roller coaster uh, in our camp. We're obviously delighted about having five athletes in the Roses programme. And as you know, we've got lots of junior athletes coming through the pathway as well. So that's a real achievement for our club, still being a relatively new club to pre-producing those players. A lot of those have come through our pathway. So that was lovely, lovely news for everybody. And they got really good support from all the other players that we have. So that was really good. And yeah, we feel, I guess, as you know, at the beginning of the season, we had um, quite strong ambitions um, to make that top four. And it's fair to say that it took us longer than we had hoped to develop those connections and those strong performances. But the performance against Manchester Thunder and then the performance this week as well against Wasps just really show what we're capable of and although they were losses they really were performances that the coaching staff were really pleased with and the players were really pleased with as well so I think one of the things you always want as a coach is to see that improvement on the second leg when you play a team that you've lost to before and I think the improvement against both of those sides is testament to all the backroom staff and the the effort the players have put in so it is giving you a glimmer of what we're capable of and uh, I get very excited about that and it just means that every every match now is just another exciting opportunity to show what talent we've got. Yeah, absolutely. It is amazing to see. And I think if there was a most improved award for the season, London Pulse would definitely have that for some of the performances recently have been incredible. And it's just such a sign of what's to come for such an amazing squad. So yeah, really tough to see that. 
Oh, well, thank you. And the, the girls, you know, win, lose, they come back into training, they're back on it, they work really hard and the, the culture is a really important thing for us. And um, the fact that we've stayed so positive in the face of those hard defeats is um, a real testament to the culture we've set out as well. So um, mm. good things to come from the club, mm. definitely. Yeah, absolutely. So today we wanted to chat to you, Sam, about money in netball. So a little bit of everything from player payments to sponsorship and how we can use money and a business model of netball to commercialize and professionalize the game. So you are in a fantastic position, we think, to talk about this because of the number and quality of amazing sponsorship deals which you've been driving forward at Pulse, which we will get back to in the moment. But I wanted to start kind of at the deep end, really, with the financial setup of the league as a whole. So can you explain a bit for us the business structure of the Super League and the pros and cons for having a franchise model as we do at the moment? Yeah, so it's obviously made up of 11 clubs. The Super League is owned and run by England Netball. It has its own separate Super League committee and management and board that oversee the key decision making in relation to where games are played, how many games are played, who sets the salary cap, what the conditions for the players are going to be. So they they set out what they think the competition should look like. However, as you know, we've got 11 clubs within the league who all have slightly different structures and who push upwards into those plans to make representations as to how the league should look, um, how the club should be supported, what the product should look like to make it entertaining, how we drive more fans, all of those sorts of things. So the clubs um, have a say in terms of what the direction of the league is should be and uh, it's fair to say there's differing opinions and uh, different people have different ideas about what the future of the league should look like but I think what I would say is there's a unity about recognising how good the league has looked this year and the visibility of the sport has been outstanding this year driven because of circumstances but nonetheless everybody's responded really well to produce a really strong product And I think one of the key things is now how we push on from that and how the clubs um, are supported. And it's sort of a two-way process in terms of everybody connecting to make our product better and and more visible. Mm, Fantastic. And so how does a franchise become eligible to participate in the league? You have quite a painful process of application. (laughs) (laughs) So... In theory, anybody can apply at at any time to be part of the Super League. But as you would imagine, there are lots of caveats to that. Nobody can just rock up and enter a team. (laughs) And you've got to show that you're financially viable, that you are able to manage a team, pay for the team, manage all the corporate responsibility that sits around that and uh, be financially viable to stay within within the league as well. So it's quite um, a difficult process. As you know, there have been a, a couple of new clubs over the last few years, us being one of them, and my predecessor did a, an outstanding job in terms of getting us a, a place in the league. But it's not easy. And I think one of the things that is a challenge for Super League is that um, there's no standard model. So you've got teams within the league that are run very differently and um, probably have different priorities in terms of what outcomes for their particular club are. Um, So while there'll be an overall sort of philosophy that we want to drive the game forward, we want to improve performance, we want to make the game more visible and more commercial, different club models will have different 
ideas and restraints as to how to try and achieve that. And I think that's one of the, the challenges we face in terms of growing our sport further. Mm, definitely. And so the franchise system that we have is actually similar in the WBBL, which for anyone who doesn't know is the Women's Elite Basketball Competition in the UK. They suggested that the franchise system tried to provide financial security and protect investment into clubs by removing the threat that comes with relegation slash competition within the franchise area. But we also know that the Premier League in football is run a bit differently, where the league is a private company which is wholly owned by the member clubs that make up the league. And when there's promotion and relegation, those clubs change. So from a business perspective, you obviously want to have the safety of knowing that as long as your team's got that cash that you were talking about to be part of the league, that you can continue to play each season. But do you think this is the right strategy for netball to commercialize and achieve our aims of putting out the best product possible? Very good question. I don't think, I think the two things are separate. So I think the ability to be promoted and relegated of itself creates interest and creates a lot of chatter around, are you going up, are you going down, all the, all the stories that run around that. But I think that's a separate issue to whether we are in our sport at the moment able to run enough clubs on a commercial basis to be able to provide this standard of competition and that that relates to the performance level as well as the commercial level and it could be argued we've already got too many teams in our super league already so i mean there is there is um i i i think possibly an argument to create a first division and a second division whatever you would call that to create that sort of relegation drama and promotion drama Um, (laughs) but I think that you would need more investment from more clubs and I think most people watching netball probably don't understand how expensive it is to run a club and all the extra responsibilities that go around that you sort of employment rights welfare rights employing your staff cohorts finding venues driving your fan base bringing in tickets bringing in sponsors I mean it's huge and it's huge and it needs really really good people to come into the game and to be added to the game if if we're going to maintain and improve the standard we have so I I think in the short term the, the better model is to stay with what we have but I think there's probably honest questions to be asked about what the differing priorities are for different styles of teams that are currently within the league. And an obvious example is if you um, are a university-backed team, you may have very different priorities and different restraints to an independent-backed team. And that creates all sorts of different challenges regarding agreeing what the salary cap should be, how you recruit players, whether you invest in a pathway with younger athletes if you really are only interested in driving athletes from a certain age if you're a university club if you're an independent club then you want more partnerships more connections so I think that's one of the the real challenges is what what, what's a perfect model as you know some of the clubs are linked with rugby clubs and so they have different drivers as well so that is um, a real challenge I think in terms of what the league looks like and how that growth happens when you've got clubs involved in it with different priorities. Mm, That's interesting, actually, that you bring up the salary cap there, because as we understand it, the salary cap is £70,000, which we believe covers nine of the 10 contracted players. And then you've got one marquee player, which can be paid outside of the cap. Is that correct? Yes, that's correct. 
And so, oh, I feel that felt really um, severe. Sorry, I feel like you were on um, Mastermind or something. Correct. <laughs> you you um, have scored three yes. points. Moving on to the next round. <laughs> um, fantastic. So for comparison for our listeners, the total player payment cap for the SSN is equivalent to £290,000, meaning they can provide a potential average salary of 42000 compared to under 8000 for the VNSL. And we heard you say on the Anything But Footy podcast that it is quote, embarrassing saying what the salary cap is to potential sponsors. So can you tell us a bit more about what you think is reasonable for the salary cap to be increased to and whether you think that the limitations of such a low cap are holding the league back at all? Yeah, I mean, I'm a real advocate for significantly increasing the salary cap, not just because I just want to pay the players more, but I I feel like our sport undervalues itself massively and we undervalue the staff within it. You know, you'll see jobs advertised within sport, but female sport in particular, on really low salaries. Mm. Um, It means essentially that our best athletes um, can only really be semi-professional at best. Those that are lucky enough to be or have earned their place to be in the full-time programme with the Roses are you know, very few in number and, and and they've already made it. And it's what concerns me is the ones that either don't reach that level but can still be very good professional players um, just don't have a window to do that. So the driver for me is that, you know, if ultimately we want to win the world championships, we want to win Commonwealth Games, we should be trying to compete on an equal footing. And that means putting our players through a, a rigorous and professional programme. And we just don't have that at the moment. And, you know, I, I see it in, with my two hats on because on, on the one hand, I'm paying my players the same as every other club, which is not very much because that's all I'm allowed to. But I want them behaving like professional players. You know, I want my pound of flesh and I want them at training and I want them doing their clips and I want them giving everything to the club. And then I have to remind myself that they're either full time students or have a another job. Mm. So Um, I just think there has to be a level of honesty around that. So for me, I would be very much in favour of significantly increasing the salary cap, but not all clubs are in favour of that. And there's a big discussion to be had about moving this league from a semi-professional position to a a professional position. And I don't think that's going to happen overnight. Mm. Mm. And I suppose as well, if you did raise the salary cap, it doesn't mean you have to pay up to the cap as well you can pay whatever is reasonable for all of those clubs in in the different situations but we found as well that the men's british basketball league salary cap is 250,000 pounds and they also have a marquee player allowance but that's for two players per team to sit outside of the salary cap so could that be a potential option for the super league to try and retain some more uk talent as well I think ideas like that have been floated and are still under consideration. And um, I probably shouldn't say any more than that at this, this time. But I think there is a genuine will and clubs are welcoming discussions around how how we change the, the model to, to bring in more money. And there is, in fact, a salary collar as well already. So there is a, a limit by which you can't fall under in terms of paying your players. I guess it's um, for us at London Pulse, we're, we're really lucky. We have great owners and we've been able to bring on some really good partnerships, as you mentioned. And so for us, our philosophy would be set the bar higher and we'll meet it. But, you know, that's just 
the way we work at London Pulse. So, you know, if somebody sets me a target, I'm just that type of person that I want to try and meet it and beat it. So mm-hmm. it's a bit sort of chicken and egg, isn't it? If you don't take the risk to raise the salary cap, then it's arguable that nobody's driven to go out and look for that extra funding um, in order to meet that. So it's it's a challenging situation, particularly because we've had a season without fans and, you know, the, the ticket money that comes from your fan base is a big contributor to how successful your club can be commercially. So there are a lot of unknowns at the moment, but I certainly think there has to be a, a transparent and honest discussion about where we're going to be in five years' time and are we going to be in a position to pay our players a professional salary in five years' time, 10 years' time, whatever that looks like, so that we as clubs know that we have to get out there and raise revenue? Mm. And it's interesting you say there about sponsorship because obviously we know that's a huge tool when it comes to making any sporting business into a commercial success. But we've seen particularly in netball that this has really taken off in recent years, both in terms of individual player sponsorship and club sponsorship. So, I mean, in the off season, it seemed like Pulse were announcing a new sponsor every week, which is <laughs> amazing to see. And you also recently announced the partnership with Viper 5, who make those fantastic performance socks. I've bought about 10 pairs already. I absolutely love them. <laughs> they're just so and good, aren't they? They're amazing. So yeah, I love them. And I counted nine sponsors in total on your website. So how are you managing to have so much success and what can other clubs learn when it comes to developing netball as a product? Well, you catch me at a good time because we're announcing another one, uh, another two this week, I think, another mm. two partners. So uh, I think what I'd say is when I was given the opportunity to come in as CEO, I think just been kicking around this sport for a long time, you know, being involved with Super League for 15 years, For me, it was just an opportunity to finally be able to say, okay, this is performance, this is business, where where are the income streams? How how do we raise revenue through X, Y, and Z? So we've got our camps, we've got our sponsorship and marketing, we've got our partners, and then we have our performance. And we've been able to bring in some really good staff that have the skills in order to be able to go and drive sponsorship, drive our ticket sales, drive our membership up. And that's been a real privilege, actually, just to be able to work with quite a close-knit team that's very driven to succeed and help the club succeed. And I think part of our success in terms of working with sponsors and partners has firstly been to really show them how passionate we are about our sport. A a lot of them, uh, the way it's worked is I've gone on the initial interview and I've sort of said, this is London Pulse, this is what we're going to do, this is women's sport, if you haven't seen it, you need to watch it, let me show you again, let me tell you about the personalities, let me tell you about the diversity, about these amazingly strong female athletes, they're perfect for you, perfect for your company. And, And then beyond that, I think it's just really important to tell them what you can give them. So you're not going in there to say, well, I'd like £50,000, please. You're going in there to say, well, for your £50,000, you get you know, an association with a really strong female brand. You get uh, visibility. We'll come in and speak to your, your employees. We'll do a yoga session with your employees. We'll partner up and do some what it takes to win talks. So they'll come in and talk to your staff or, or about you know, their journey. And I think the more you can present, uh, actually, your 
brand is actually good value. We're mm. going to give you all these things and you're just going to be so pleased to be working with us. And I think it's really, really finding partners that you can genuinely work with. And I won't name them, but I've certainly got a couple of the CEOs from the, the companies we're working with that send me a little helpful message after the game <laughs> and say, <laughs> you know, well done or not well done or great, <laughs> thank you. And I, I, I get words of wisdom. And it's actually lovely that you can develop those relationships with your partners and sponsors and it's not a flash in the pan where they don't really feel like they've had much for their money and you you've not really bothered with them so the philosophy has been to genuinely partner with them keep them involved with the club get them to know the personalities in the club and really sort of go on that journey together so that that they appreciate being a part of our our success and failure so that seems to have worked Mm. And for those of us who are already a part of the netball family, you know, we're telling people left, right and centre, you should invest in netball, invest in netball. But what do you think the main challenges are that franchises face when it comes to getting sponsors to back netball specifically instead of other women's sports? I think obviously it's been a challenging year this year, but ordinarily, I think the key thing is finding a like minded individual within that organization that likes live sport so it doesn't really matter if you can find the person that you can ignite their interest within that particular company and you can get them down to watch or you can get them to come and meet your players they then do the hard work for you within their own business because they've they've bought in as well so I think it's finding somebody that connects with your sport and it doesn't have to be I've found that if somebody really loves cricket or rugby or whatever it is once they see how good netball is they they buy into it very quickly Mm. and I think it's just having a bit more faith in what our product offers you know it's a great we know it's a great game but lots of people don't, but it doesn't take much to convert them. It really doesn't. Once they see the, you know, the athleticism and, and also the, the visibility of what they get in terms of value for money, in terms of what they pay for the visibility that they get on, on Sky Sports and um, on the news and social media, um, it becomes a very good prospect. You know, you know we mm. are a good value uh, compared to, you know, if you wanted to sponsor a netball team compared to a football team, well, you know, both are on Sky Sports, both, both get social media coverage. It, for me, it's a no-brainer, but it's it's finding the, the right person within that business that, that buys into that. Mm. Definitely. That's that's really interesting, actually, that you're saying, actually, it's there, the people are there, they want to see it. It's just making those connections and forging them. Mm. The, the other thing we've found as well is that a lot of um, companies have sort of social and corporate responsibility um, pot of, of money. And we found that um, some of the partners we've approached uh, with a view to sponsoring our Super League side have actually been far more interested in our, our community work that we do. Um, and that's something I've learned over the year as well. It's about finding the right fit for a particular sponsor. So um, Visions in Education, they actually sponsor our pathway because they they run sort of sports tours abroad and that's more relevant to them to be sponsoring that sort of athlete cohort than the Super League. And we found that other partners have come on board with us because they're interested in our grassroots projects like our visually impaired netballers. And so it's also having a think about what else you offer 
that company because sometimes they're, they're not genuinely not bothered about being on Sky or, or being on the dress. They're bothered about their social and corporate responsibility and how they can help our club help grassroots initiatives. So it's sort of understanding that the, the client you're approaching as well and where best to place them and then where to have those relevant discussions. I feel like we're getting a sponsorship masterclass here. I feel like mm. we should be paying you or something <laughs> to be co- coming on and giving us all your wisdom. It's fantastic. Well, I wouldn't go that far. It's more like <laughs> a dog with a bone, really. I think that's what I put in the door. I think they just get rid of me by sponsoring <laughs> the club. Yeah, definitely. So talking more generally about the league as a whole, do you think that having fewer teams would solve the money problem? I know we've talked about this briefly as a point of discussion, but we want to know whether it would really mean more concentrated money coming in from sponsorship deals, memberships, ticket sales, clubs and camps, all those things you've listed, which could then translate into more money to pay coaches and players in general. And if not, what do you think is the best way to commercialize the league as a whole? Yeah, I think in terms of numbers, in in terms of raising money, sponsorship, funding, I don't think it matters that there are 11 teams because, quite honestly, I think if teams are prepared to put the same effort in, and I know there are a number of teams that do, um, Sirens are a standout team for that, Mm -hmm. um, that are prepared to be ambitious as well, then I think there's enough money to go round. You know, there's however million people live in the UK, <laughs> there's enough money to go round to, to fund a netball super league. So I don't think that's the issue. I think 11 teams is more of a question when you talk about performance and whether you've got a high enough performance level across the Super League and whether losing two or three teams and I I say that carefully given where my team sits at the moment (laughs) um, but losing two or three teams whether that would drive the level of competition up is is a performance decision but I genuinely think that you know 11 teams or even if you had two divisions of let's say 14 teams 16 teams there should be enough to drive enough commercial revenue but it's it's about being prepared to do it. It's very hard work. You've got to, you know, it takes months and months and months sometimes to get these deals over the line. And it just it is, a, is, is hard. It's hard mm. work, but it can be done. And I think, um, you know, there are some shining examples of that from clubs within the Super League. And, you know, there has been improvement, I think, but there's a lot more improvement to be made. Mm. So do you think there is enough transparency when it comes to the financial side of things in the Super League? So for example, you can find online loads of detail about the SSN, including salary increases in recent years, the benefits the players can enjoy, things like cars, health insurance, and even a technology allowance. So do you think that further transparency might put the magnifying glass on this side of the sport, which it can sometimes be often a bit brushed under the carpet and result in positive changes? Another very good question, Lucy. Um, I I think that would probably come down to the the governing body of our league to to make those decisions. But again, I'm, I'm all for transparency. I think although these things are uncomfortable, they are drivers for improvement. And, you, you know, if you're not 
if you're not cutting it in terms of some of those areas as a club and others are, then you've either got to step up and improve your own system or you'll be found out. And so again, uh, for me, I think it would be a positive step. But again, I think there are probably some constraints around that depending on the club structures and depending on who owns them, whether they're part of a university, whether they're independently owned, uh, whether they're tied up with a rugby club. So everybody has such sort of, it, it might be actually quite difficult to see those figures in an objective light because they'd be presented so differently depending on what your club model is. Mm-hmm. So it might be quite challenging or it could potentially be perceived as being slightly skewed when it isn't depending on how those figures are extrapolated I think. Yeah definitely I think that there's obviously more work that can be done in this space of visibility and also in terms of being able to compare ourselves to other sports I think we're sometimes a bit shy to do that and and generally as women I think there's some statistic about women not asking for more money in interviews and you know underselling themselves definitely which we've talked about so I think it's a definitely a point of growth for the league and the sport in general to be considering moving forwards. Yeah, and I um, I often have a lot of debates about this with my husband, uh, so it's what we do. And, you know, he sort of talks about, you know, when guys go down the pub, they all talk about football and, you know, they go and play Sunday league and they think they're as good as the players that are playing for Arsenal. And, um, you know, and we don't have that yet in our sport. You know, we still have huge participation, which is just fantastic. And the England Netball programme to drive participation has been fantastic. But that still doesn't translate into them connecting with the Super League, being a fan of London Pulse, whoever it is, and saying, oh, did you see the match between, you know, Wasps and Pulse last night? I could have passed that ball better. What was she doing? (laughs) All, All of that. We do not have that yet in our game. And... I think that's one of the absolute keys to unlocking the the next sort of level of success in our game is to somehow drive all those people that take part, millions, millions mm. of women and girls that play netball that have no interest in Super League. They probably still watch the football more than they watch the netball. And so for me, that's a huge thing and something we're really trying to change at London Pulse by engaging with uh, men's netball, um, with social leagues, just so that we can have a visibility there. So it's not just having visibility on Sky, it's having visibility up the road where Mm. your local netballers are and getting them to come and, you know, firstly know you exist, come and support, bring the kids, go out for dinner afterwards, have your opinion on who was any good and who wasn't and to try and build that into the fabric of what we have in Britain and that's quite a big ask and I have a bet with my husband that we can do it so I need to do that but um, (laughs) I do think it's a big cultural shift and so it, it, it can't just come from England netball and the clubs to say look we've got this great product we're here people have to want to come and see it they want to feel part of it they need to feel that they're a a supporter that they're part of a a club environment and and there's a so much work to be done in relation to that that's really really important 
And it's interesting you talk about visibility there because we also heard you mention on the Anything But Footy podcast that the visibility of the younger age group is something that you really value. And we know that the NPL sits underneath the Super League, but it feels like we haven't really begun to explore the commercial potential of that league yet as a separate competition to the Super League. So can you tell us a bit about what your hopes are for the future of the NPL? Is the dream that it becomes almost like the college system in American football with you know huge crowds, televised games, and then the players become like these household names who are then snapped up for Super League contracts when they get to senior level? Uh, yes, that's it. <laughs> Great. <laughs> Answer done. Let's make it happen. <laughs> uh, absolutely. I mean, the NPL competition is brilliant. It's mm. just brilliant. I mean, if, if people haven't seen NPL netball, so if you, if, I mean, I'm just using Pulse because it's an easy example, but if you think we've got six under 21 players in our Super League side that play NPL, so you've got Fumi, Liv, Kira, Peace, uh, who have I missed out, Zara, all amazing players that play other amazing players at their own age group the standard and the competitiveness is just brilliant and you've got so much excitement wrapped around that with the parents and aunties and uncles you've already got a ready-made fan base (laughs) it's really really good entertaining um, sport and really good entertaining netball and in fact, we're uh, live streaming a couple of our NPL matches this year uh, with the company ISG because it's not wrapped in and around the Sky package. So we can live stream our, our own matches. And uh, I think it's a huge area for improvement. And again, I think when we talk about engagement, the, these girls were at uni, a lot of them, or I mean, some of them are still at school. Mm-hmm. Well, they're at school with all their peers they'll come and watch it you know if their buddy is playing on telly playing in an NPL competition or it's being streamed then all of a sudden you've got your whole school watching you know and that's just that's a whole new audience it's a whole new uh, way to get people to watch because they'll watch their friends playing and it's a really good quality product so I'm all in with that definitely absolutely love that it makes me feel so old though my goodness like the <laughs> talent that these players had I'm like you said they're still in school I'm like oh my god there's me creaking over here getting up and out of a chair yeah, we, <laughs> yeah. had, we, we had that with um, Peace as you know she came in Peace yes. Akinyemi to replace Hallie and mm. she, she's at school so we had a, she was in our squad on Monday night and you know we're talking about making sure she gets back to school okay safely I mean you know you think you feel old but uh, yeah, so, you know, the talent around the country, you know, Manchester have an amazing pathway, as you know, but all around the country, there's just so many exciting, young, talented players to see. And um, I think people would really, really enjoy watching it. Yeah, without a doubt, without a doubt. I'm very conscious that we've taken up a lot of your time. So we've got one more question for you. It's, um, I'd say it's pretty well documented that the financial struggles that we see in netball are not just limited to our sport, but actually the wider women's sport industry as a whole. There was a fantastic study called Closing the Visibility Gap that found that women's sport will reach £1 billion in revenue if female athletes and teams are made more visible. Now, to me, it seems like a bit of a chicken and egg scenario where we know that the investment will get more eyes on the game, but until there's more eyes on the game, the investment is quite hard to come by. So what do you think is the best way for netball and women's sport in general to break out of this perpetual cycle of investment versus viewership? 
Yeah, I think uh, whilst Sky Sports are amazing and they support our, our product really well, that, that can't be the only answer in terms of visibility. Mm. Um, I, I think, you know, my my kids don't watch telly at all. They watch everything through, through streaming, through different channels. And I think we just need to be far more creative about how you can get the game onto different platforms. I still think free-to-air would be really important as well. So getting on a, a mainstream terrestrial channel, um, even if it's a highlights package, would be crucial. But... I think even clips, you know, just even, you know, Fumi flying through the air for five seconds and then being streamed or clipped or onto a, a strong social platform gets interest, mm. you know, and we've got so many amazing players across the whole Super League. Every every club has four or five absolute outstanding superstars and to even just be able to reproduce those sort of special moments there was Liana's 360 that she did um at the weekend you know get that out there over every possible means you can so that it sparks interest and you know I don't even think people need to necessarily watch a whole match I think they just need to understand the the excitement and the drama and the the culture of the of the match to, to to be interested and I think it's just moving away from that sort of fairly standard okay we're just going to put it on telly and cross our fingers and hope people like it Um, we have to move away from that and look at how different people view our sport and another part of the population my staff often think I'm bonkers but they did with this but now they've apologized so (laughs) that I think we neglect a a massive part of the population which is our older population you know you've Mm. got an an elderly population in the UK a large retired community that have all got money to spend and time to come and watch matches and I think they're thoroughly neglected from our sport you know if grandma and granddad can bring so-and-so to, to netball, understand what it's about. It's a day out that they, you know, they've, they've grown up watching variety of sports as, you know, now senior adults in the community, you know, watching cricket on when it was on free-to-air, watching the snooker. You know, they buy in pretty quickly to our sport, I think. And again, I think it's a huge part of the population that is being missed. And as you know, we did some sort of netball, seated netball through lockdown with some care homes and the response was phenomenal. And mm. I, I, again, I think we tend to think, oh, we need new young people to watch our game. Well, I'm, I'm happy if a load of elderly supporters come to watch us and get as much out of enjoying the game. And again, you know, go back and say who they, what they thought of the game. I, I'm all for that. And it's, it's supposed to be an inclusive sport and that shouldn't exclude a large part of the population that have retired. So I think it's a, a big opportunity for us as well. It's exactly like Caroline Barker said, sport is sport is sport is sport. I think she said when we had her on a few episodes ago, if you're a sports fan, you're going to love netball because it's high energy, it's high impact, it's fast paced and it's so engaging to watch. So yeah, I definitely think you're onto one there, Sam. Thank you. I, I, it might be slightly driven because I'm heading for that sort of uh, <laughs> age group. But, no. um, uh, it's uh, uh, yeah. So we'll, we'll see. We'll see. But I, I'm um, I'm all for in- inclusivity um, uh, for our sport because I, I think as many people who can enjoy it should do so. 
Absolutely. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much, Sam. That is everything that we've got time for today, but really, really appreciate you coming on the show and sharing your insight with us and have a great game this weekend. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me and keep up the good work. Thank you. (laughs) Thanks. Thank you so much for listening to episode 14 of Quarter Time. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast and follow us on social media at Quarter Time Pod for the latest netball updates. Get involved in the conversation online by tagging us in your three-word summaries of the games and let us know which players have stood out for you each week using the story template in our Instagram highlights. Enjoy the next round of matches and see you next week. Bye.